0: I'm Duncan McNichol. And I'm Dominic Norberg. And this is another episode of... Not Not Exactly Rocket Rocket Science. So Not Exactly Rocket Science is our podcast where we um, look at things that aren't exactly rocket science. Because, you know, rocket science is a thing we have a chance of understanding. Um, Because I'm an electrical engineer and computer scientist by training... And I'm a, a chemist and a physicist, um, and that sets us up well for understanding, you know, physical processes and maths and things, um, but sadly that is not how our bodies work. Um, they're a bit more complicated or a bit less complicated, it's difficult to tell sometimes. And struggle a bit more at surviving in outer space. That's very true. This week we're going to talk uh, to... Um, Henry McSorley. Henry McSorley, <laughs> whose name I can definitely remember, Um I hope I'm pronouncing this right. I think so. It could be Sorrelay. It absolutely could be. Um, we should get him to introduce himself. So I'm uh, Henry McSoley, uh,
1: and I'm a-, a Chancellor's Fellow in the Centre for Information Research. But what is it that you do? Actually, can I throw a question in between?
0: <laughs> what <laughs> is okay.
1: a Chancellor's Fellow? Oh, wait, um, it's just a, uh, a job. You get a bit of startup money, you get a, a PhD student, and you, you um, have to. In about five years, run a lab, get some grant money, and become independently um, a group-leading scientist. Um, yes. How far into your five years are you? Uh, four. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing four as of yesterday. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, it's kind of come down to uh, to the crunch time. So hopefully, hopefully it's going fairly well. And so specifically, what I work on is uh, how parasitic worms uh, release. Uh, immune modulators, so uh, factors which they use to directly mess with the immune system. Uh, and they want to do this because the parasites want to survive within the hosts. Um, and in order to do so, they need to make sure the immune system doesn't try to kill them. So they, right. um, they've they developed very sophisticated ways of messing with the immune system.
0: Can I jump in? Um, so in my head, my immune system gets rid of bacteria and, and- viruses sometimes mm-hmm. um I, it never really occurred to me that it took care of parasites as well because like, when you say parasitic worms do you mean like big worms
1: yeah like, uh, absolutely so i mean um, you know parasitic worms you, you're talking about um uh, so possibly uh, you know the longest animals there are because like uh, you know whales have tapeworms and that's the length wow. of their gut and so they're they're you know tens of meters long and down to uh, worms, which are you know in the kind of millimetre range, but still okay. you know things you can see to the naked eye. And yes, yeah, so I mean the immune system is sometimes capable of uh, ejecting these, paras- these parasites, wow. um, but most of the time not. And it seems to be that we've kind of come to this arrangement with uh, with parasites that the natural state of being. If you look at any wild animal populations or um, any kind of mummified remains from hundreds of years ago—they're all always infected with parasites. And huh. um, so that's the natural state of being. And actually, we're the unnatural ones because we don't—we're not constantly full of worms. Um, and so without that, we uh, our immune system is—you know—expecting to have these parasites here, and expecting to have the parasites which actually downregulate your immune responses a bit. And without that downregulation your immune system is evolved to be set too high and is set for hyperactivity. Right. Um, and, that, and that leads to um, all these immune-mediated diseases. And especially, we think, allergy, because, um, like you say, the immune system, people usually think about it killing bacteria and viruses. Um, and that, those kind of responses are mediated generally by what's known as Th1 responses, inflammatory immune responses, um, which are really good at killing things like bacteria. For killing worms, you need a good Th2 response. And Th2 immune responses are the type of immune response that also cause allergy. And so parasites specifically seem to be very good at suppressing Th2 immune responses because those are the immune responses they want to suppress in order that the immune system doesn't kill them. So about kind of 40 or 50 years ago, people started noticing that parasite-infected populations had much lower levels of allergy than, uh, than we do. Um, and then people started to try and replicate this in animal models, uh, infecting mice with, uh, with parasites and showing that these, these mice were um, uh, uh, protected against uh, pathology models of things like asthma. What we've been doing for the last kind of 10 or so years is trying to separate ourselves from the actual parasite infection and rather find out what they're doing at the molecular level. So, you can maybe make new drugs. So, what we're trying to find out is um, what the parasites are secreting, which they use to mess with the immune system, and then replicate those products uh, in the lab, and then we can maybe inject those, turn them into a drug, and that could be something
2: that prevents you from getting allergy uh, and asthma. So, uh, it's called the hygiene hypothesis. Like, how far, how, how well established, or how well accepted is that as a. As a fact
1: so i mean it's it 's a difficult one to uh, to test i mean it, it, this is uh, largely from epidemiological data in, in humans um, with just the observation that uh, populations that have more parasites have less less allergy um, what people have been doing since about the early two thousands is actually carrying out clinical trials where they infect people with live parasites and, and that was what that was my first um, postdoc <laughs> job was um, on a clinical trial where we uh, had people with uh, celiac disease which is an immune mediated intolerance to, to gluten um, and we infected uh, a bunch of these people with human hookworm so gut hookworm and then tried to see whether the celiac disease got better. How long did it take to get ethics approval for that? It was in Australia it was a different <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: I don't know that it would have been allowed. I mean, to be fair, though, there's been much larger clinical trials uh, since then using uh, live parasite infection. But I mean, it was it was bizarre. I mean, so for me, I'm, I'm mainly a um, you know a mouse immunologist, basically. Um, so it was my first experience of human immunology, and um, uh, this clinical trial it was placebo controlled. These particular worms actually they, they burrow through your skin, and then they. Both of your skin, they go through the vasculature to the lungs, um, and then they emerge out into your airspace of your lungs, and then you cough them up and you swallow them, and then they uh, develop in the guts into blood-feeding parasites so they've got teeth and they bite into the walls of your gut and they drink your blood
2: Okay, second question. Ethics approval is one thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: How do you get patient approval for that?
2: Yeah, so I mean,
1: actually, I mean, I, I was I was very surprised, but like, people I'm were queuing up for this. Like, do you know well. how difficult it is
0: to find gluten free food in Australia? Though, <laughs> <laughs> they're just just like anything, anything. <laughs> yeah, just yeah just but, stick the worms but, in. But okay, and then someone tells, hey,
2: like. I don't know, maybe you've gotten ads before for, oh, do you want to take part in a clinical study? We have to take 100 mils of blood over the course of a day. Okay, that's that sounds <laughs> fine. Yeah, sure, why not? How about we put parasites <laughs> onto your skin? They burrow through your skin, go through your bloodstream, into your lungs, you'll cough them up, you'll swallow them and then they have little teeth and get
0: stuck in your gut and that's where they feed on your blood this is
2: why you get people
0: who are less good at explaining things than Henry to, to write that copy <laughs> right um,
1: no I mean it, I have to say it was all uh, ethically approved and it was completely fine they did uh, various studies beforehand to make sure that you've got a kind of um, asymptomatic dose of, of parasites so we only actually uh, I think infected them with uh, 10 or 15 parasites and each parasite's about a centimetre long once it's fully developed um, but it was things like, you know, because it was placebo controlled, you needed to um make the placebo people think that they're infected with parasites. So um <laughs> so these parasites do bury through your skin. So uh, we did put the larvae on a bandage and put and put it on their skin and then it'd be kind of quite itchy as the parasites were burrowing through. Um so as a placebo control it was Tabasco sauce, um <laughs> which is <laughs> similarly itchy. Um and then, and then all the people who actually got the parasites then had a little bit of a cough the following day because the, the, the parasites mm. were migrating through the lungs. Oh, that's and how fast it happens. Yeah, yeah, they're right. no, 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 okay. very kind of um, efficient. And then, what we could do, I mean, and for for parasitologists like me, this is very exciting. What we could then do is you know, give the people um, uh, endoscopies, um, so um, look at their you know jejunum just below their stomach, um, and you could see the parasites in there. You can see them moving around. We've got videos of them mating and feeding and drinking blood, and it's <laughs> fascinating for a parasitologist. Anyway, so the whole point of this uh, was not to entertain me, but to, um, um, to see if we could down-regulate the immune response to, to gluten. Um, and um, uh, from our studies, it, it does appear that we managed to um, down-regulate the immune response uh, somewhat. This is a very low dose of parasites, so perhaps not enough to... Um, uh, to cause protection and what, um, what, what also the clinical readout in the study was, was um, so these are celiac people severely celiac people so, really celiac people. so like, literally a crumb of bread can um, uh, make them very ill literally a crumb um, so, and they've been very stri- strictly gluten intolerant for you know, up to 30 years some of them and so um, what happened in this trial was people were uh, infected or not and then 10 weeks later everyone was given 4 slices of white bread to eat a day for a week and that caused quite uh, quite a lot of uh, pathology. So we may have kind of, um, you know, it was, it was understandable, kind of going going for, for, for gold, but um, it was quite low-dose parasites, and really a high dose of challenge. And so that may be why um, the uh, response uh, wasn't as good. And so later trials, what they've used is a kind of microdosing of gluten. Um, so a very, very small amount, like half a centimetre of pasta, and gradually building it yeah. on and trying to induce a kind of tolerance in to the immune system. So uh, that was a long segue but uh, so that's one approach is to try and um, replace the worms back into the system so reinfect people with parasites um, but as I was saying it, it, we think a, a, a more um, a sensible approach a, a perhaps a more practical approach is to actually work out what the parasites are doing and instead replicate that bit rather than putting whole organisms back into into people so that's what we really try to do so Um, uh, when I then came back from Australia to to, uh, Scotland, um, we were uh, taking um, intestinal parasites
0: and um, just culturing them in vitro. Okay, stop. Henry just said something that... I think I kind of know what it means, but I'm never entirely sure, and it seems like as good an opportunity as any to clarify. So um, I've asked Philip to uh, explain for us um, what he means when he says in vitro.
2: Oh, uh, so in vitro is basically derived from a Latin term um, that literally means in glass. Um, and in terms of life sciences or biological sciences, in vitro usually refers to a type of experiment okay. whereby you are working in a plate or a dish or a tube with as a certain type of cell usually. Um, and so the, the advantage of this is that uh, you're working with a, a carefully monitored and controlled environment right. that you can easily manipulate. Um, the obvious disadvantage is that as opposed to in vivo work, okay. uh, which means within life, right? Um, this environment is not wholly representative of how a cell or a certain biological
0: phenomenon might Right. Appear within life or react within an, an actual living cool. thing. Cool. Uh, I guess we'll go back to the conversation with Henry. Uh, parasites are quite
1: difficult to work with. They're not like bacteria. You can't kind of grow them in vitro. Mm. Uh, you can only keep them alive for a while. I mean, they're, 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 their genome, so genomes are big. Uh, in some cases, as our genome, you know, they're they're eukaryotes. They're they're big complex organisms. Um, so uh, so what we were doing was basically scraping worms out of uh, out of mouse guts. Um, and then culturing them uh, in vitro. And then we were um, collecting everything they secreted. Um, so we then got this big kind of soup of thousands of different molecules. There were um, exosomes, there were proteins, there were uh, nucleic acids, there were carbohydrates, there everything in there, very complicated mixture of stuff. Um, and then we were taking that parasite goop um, and injecting it to mice and seeing if we could... Um, suppress development of asthma, and indeed you absolutely can. Um, And so, uh, with these parasite products, you can suppress development of asthma. We then worked out some of the immune mechanisms by which they're doing this, Um, and then what we've been doing is taking that mixture of thousands of molecules and um, breaking them down to smaller pools of of molecules, and then ultimately we've uh, managed to identify single proteins which do single
2: actual activities, and some of those try to be... Can can I ask in between, how... How comparable is um, like a gluten intolerance to asthma? To me, that sounds like co- like yeah. two completely different things. Oh, Absolutely, no. Sorry, that's a, yeah, that's
1: that was kind of misleading. Yeah, <laughs> a, a, a wildly different uh, responses. Um, so, gluten intolerance actually is much more of that kind of TH one, um, TH seventeen, kind of uh, same kind of um, responses that kill bacteria. But it turns out parasites can suppress that too. Um, but, yeah, no, what, what uh, my work has been on, focusing on for the last few years is much more the TH2, the allergy uh, type of response, which, it, as you say, is a completely different type of, uh, type of response and completely different pathways. But there's, there's lots of... If there's kind of one thing we're finding from, um, from the recent work is that there is really lots of stuff in those parasite products with lots of different uh, effects. Um, so the main molecule that um, I've uh, been, been working on for the last few years... Um, we identified from this parasite stuff, and it's a protein um, which um, which blocks an in cytokine. So alarmin cytokines are the very very earliest cytokines that are released on tissue damage, and they are known to be involved in the progression to allergy and then asthma. Um, so we've got this molecule that suppresses uh, alarmins, and we call it the alarmin release inhibitor, which is a slightly forced acronym because my name is Henry, and I wanted to call my molecule Ari. So, we, uh, we work on, uh, on ARI. Um, and um, so, ARI kind of blocks these kind of damage mediated responses. But one of the other mo- molecules that um, myself and uh, uh, mainly uh, collaborators uh, in Glasgow, uh, their kind of lead molecule, it, uh, suppresses uh, T cell responses and these kind of adaptive immune responses. So, a much, much later uh, stage of the immune response. Um, but that's a really exciting molecule as well because, and it's called TGM. Um, because it could actually induce tolerance against new um, new products, and what that means is there's potential that you could um, uh, induce tolerance to a uh, mismatched transplant so you could um, you okay. get someone with a you know different liver different genetic background, you can induce the immune system to ignore that
2: kind of liver and then it wouldn't get rejected and obviously that would be a huge way so so when you in the body i'd assume when you turn one knob um and down you regulate one thing then there's somewhere else in the body where that actually is where where that's a bad thing like if you say it's a response to tissue damage obviously you'd still want your body to respond to tissue damage Mm -hmm. so is that part of your research also to look into like what's the what's the sweet spot yeah i mean
1: i think that's a really good point i mean um Yes, you're right. The, the immune system is there for a reason. All of these responses are there for a reason. So you can't kind of um, uh, arbitrarily and across the board completely suppress everything. Um, it has to be context dependent. It has to be in the right place and at the right time. Um, and we're, we're looking at, uh, at that as, uh, as well. And what I would say is, you know, that the whole kind of overarching theory, the hygiene hypothesis, is that basically our immune system is just set a wee bit too high. Um, because it expects to be suppressed a little bit by the presence of parasites, and it's not. So maybe we need to just kind of uh, put back in that little bit of suppression. Um, and especially in people who already have... Uh, you know, there's also g- a genetic variation in how much of an immune response you you, you give. Um, and so some people, are, their immune system is set especially high, and for mm-hmm. those people especially want to kind of turn things uh, down a bit. And if you've already got... Um, Asthma, or you've got a family history of asthma. They, they, these may be the people that we want to to uh, target for these kind of these kind of things. But yeah, absolutely, it's 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 a caveat. And it's something we always have to bear in mind. But I mean, again, going back to maybe transplantation tolerance. Um, if you get a transplant, you have to have um, uh, immunosuppression. And the immunosuppressive yeah. reagents at the moment are very um, global and harsh, really. And so, that what then happens is that you're um, left. Immunosuppressed, and um, you can have a um, higher uh, prevalence of, you know, infections, which can be really problematic. And also things like cancer. because The immune system is uh, is involved in uh, patrolling and and making sure it tries to stop cancers from developing. So, so absolutely. But if we can be,
2: be much more specific about how we suppress immune response, then hopefully we can talk uh, with better. So, so chances are you could. Radically outperform the current gold standard in immunosuppression and so on. Well, that's obviously that's <laughs> a hope. <Yeah. laughs> that would be great.
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be much more. You know, a, a lot of these kind of um, things uh, you, with uh, precision me- uh, medicine is much more. Uh, there's not going to be one drug for for everything. There's going to be specific drugs for specific subgroups of people. Uh, and actually, uh, asthma is a really good. Uh, example of this in that it's a very spectral disease and it appears to be that actually although there's um, uh, you know, kind of one in 11 people in the UK have asthma, uh, they have lots of different types of asthma and lots of different causes for that and for each type of asthma there may be a, a different type of treatment that would be effective. So as we understand diseases better and understand the immune system better, we can come up with better treatments, and all of these need to come uh, come together. So it's a real uh, example where you need the basic science, which is just looking at the immune system with no um, specific
2: medicine in mind to come up with better uh, medicines. Yeah, Just because... Um uh, before we move on much further, I just want to put in a little disclaimer before it seems like we are slagging off um, the pharmaceutical industry yeah, making yeah. asthma inhalers that are really helpful yeah. and the transplant uh, and transplant medicine, which yeah. uh, saves enough lives. Um, oh, those are great, but there's, uh, I think <laughs> there's, there's room for improvement. Yep. And it's good that, I guess it's good to see loads of people Happily working towards that kind of improvement. Yeah. So, what's the next breakthrough that you're working towards at the moment? So, um, so our, our
1: molecule, um, Arri, which suppresses these uh, early kind of pro-allergic uh, immune responses, we're um, we're hoping to turn this uh, ultimately into a into a medicine. So, we could we've uh, we discovered it in uh, mouse models of asthma, um, and uh, we've worked out the mechanism of action. And then we've shown that uh, this same mechanism of action works on, on human cells. And obviously, that's a really important step because you, you, know, you don't really care so much about curing mouse asthma. We want to be curing Especially it. Especially mouse cells. asthma
2: that you've induced. artificially <laughs>
1: induced. <laughs> 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 indeed, indeed. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so, so we've shown that the same mechanism works in, in humans. Um, uh, and so it has a potential as a drug. So, we're, we're, um, we're trying to take that forward and see if we can. Um, see if we can uh, develop a, a medicine out of it so so that's kind of one um, whole uh, bit of our work uh, another thing is um, that we're not done with the parasite secretions I mean we're finding new effects that they have constantly uh, and um, so we've been working on uh, uh, on other mechanisms that they that they do and we've been finding new individual molecules from these parasite secretions uh, so we've got a kind of um, uh, a pipeline where um, where you start off with this big soup of stuff that we know very little about um, and then we hopefully identify a single molecule and then we hopefully identify the mechanism of action and then we hopefully um, relate that to humans. Uh, so Ari has done all of those things we've got a molecule which has done four out of five of those things so far and we try to get the next step and we've got a molecule which is one back from that and one back from that again. So, um, so we think that finally we might be at a stage where we can um, uh, finally uh, come up with a whole load of discoveries uh, of, of different molecules that can be used as drugs. And I mean, I, and I would uh, just say that this is um, kind of massively behind where uh, other infectious diseases are. So parasitology uh, always seems to kind of lag about 20 years behind everyone else, um, which <laughs> is kind of a bit sad, but we've only just got genomes of lots of parasites. Lack, sort of lag of behind in which sense? Also, uh, one really major uh, problem with um, uh, parasites is that you really can't do genetic knockout studies. So, you know, viruses or bacteria, you can very, very easily, comparatively, you can uh, remove genes or put in genes or do whatever you want. Um, And with parasites, we just don't have that technology.
0: Do you think that the way that parasitology is lagging behind is because parasites are a sort of developing world problem rather than a developed world problem?
1: Yeah no I mean that's, that's uh, always uh, it has been a problem that we uh, we didn't get the the funding in the past um I think now because there are really large uh, clinical trials underway around the world where people are getting infected with parasites mm-hmm. and we're finding lots more um, uh, lots more treatments that could come from uh, uh, parasitic worms uh, is getting more more funding now I mean and the other thing that uh, you get a lot of parasitology funding for is that um, uh, parasitic worms in this country and everywhere in the world are extremely important in livestock animals, so cows and sheep and pigs and so on. They cause massive economic burden. So um, so actually that uh, that side of things, the kind of um, uh, veterinary parasitology has actually uh, led the way in, in, in some ways because um, because it's, yeah, it's economically important uh, in the UK. Um, and I mean... The, it depends whether you're. So I started out as a kind of parasite immunologist and interested just in the worm, and it's only recently I've been moving into these kind of immune-mediated diseases. But if you're looking at the worm and you want to cure the worm, um, that's tricky as well because um, you know when you're looking at immunology, it's quite a uh, it's quite cutting edge, cutting edge work. Treatments that you come up from it are going to be expensive, basically, mm. um, and when you're talking about uh, for instance um, hookworms, uh, which is the type of parasite that uh, uh, we 're kind of modeling, they infect uh, up to a billion people in the world uh, incredibly uh, prevalent, but these are mostly in resource poor settings and if you can 't with a treatment that could cure you these parasites, but it costs a thousand dollars a year well that 's not um, that 's yeah. not acceptable so it's uh it's tricky um so Actually, doing this work where we can focus on um, on immune mediated diseases, we can uh, focus on finding um, new medicines, which could be expensive, but could really take us onto the next step of understanding how parasites work. Hopefully, this could then be related back, and we could find new drug targets because it's it's much like the um, uh, the situation in uh, uh, antibiotics, where um, you know, got all these antibiotics, but you've got all these bacteria becoming resistant. Uh, we have got uh, uh, anti-worm drugs um, which uh, are used in in livestock and and, uh, in people Um, but there is resistance developing there as well, we really need the next phase of them, it's a very expensive process to find new uh, anti-worm drugs Um, and uh, and yeah, if you come up with a new anti-worm
2: drug that's thousands of dollars a year, then again it's not that much use. I wanted to ask about antibiotics, like what is the in some ways if you start um messing with the immune system and it's so complex and everything, what are the what are the chances that um an immune system also like it it, it adapts to you messing with it. It adapts to your ARI molecule yeah. and things like that. Like oh, obviously yeah. we don't proliferate quite as quickly as bacteria so we don't we don't Change, no, no, uh, but, it's, it, inside, but. It,
1: it, it's, a, it's a definite problem because, I mean, so one big problem with um, uh, these kind of new kind of therapeutics um, is that you can often in the end raise an immune response against the, the drug, against mm-hmm. the, uh, the molecule you're trying to use to mess with the immune response. So then once you get an immune response against it, it gets cleared from the system very quickly. It stops working. And so this is a really major hurdle to developing new medicines, especially medicines like we're doing, which are based on, uh, on proteins, where um, they could be immunogenic, the immune system could react against them. And so we need to work out whether it is going to and try and find ways to stop that. Um, and so, yeah, lots of new medicines, uh, this is the problem that they're coming up against. And it may be that you can only use one of these medicines for a little while, and then you need to use a different one. But obviously that's, that's not ideal. Um, so, is it, so yes, yeah, so, uh, it's it's not so much at the the um, level of uh, of the whole organi- organism, the whole population um, becoming resistant to medicine, but individual people certainly
0: can. Yeah. The time has come for you, Dominic, to explain what Henry does. Go. Okay, as far as I can understand it, Henry
2: is working on trying to understand if there's truth to the hygiene hypothesis a part of which states that um, there's the difference that we see in how many people have uh, allergies in the developed world compared to the developing world is due to our immune systems being geared towards dealing with parasites. So the parasites um, dampen the immune responses that our immune systems uh, would have towards them, if those parasites aren't there and this dampening doesn't happen, our immune systems go a bit haywire, or can go a bit haywire, and respond too strongly to um, to uh, things from the outside world, like um, like du- gluten, for example, gluten. dust, yeah, stuff like that. So and yeah, and he's working on Ari, Ari, and we'll see if Ari uh, might might one day. Um,
0: sort it all out.
2: Yeah, like uh, turn into a, <laughs> <laughs> turn into a drug that um, that will help people with immune systems that are a bit too active. That right?
0: Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you very much. No thank nice. you. Thank you for having me.
2: Wow, that was uh, very interesting. Again, a little creepy. And like, yeah.
0: I mean, uh, it's yeah. I think. I don't like the sound of having worm gunk in me, but I also don't like the sound of having worms in me. On the other hand, I would rather have real worms put in me and get over my celiac disease than uh, just have someone rub some Tabasco on my arm and not get over my celiac disease. Yeah, but then
2: you get fed four slices of bread after having not had a grain of bread for 20 years. Like... Every day
0: for a week. A week! Yeah. I feel like we should probably tell people at some point that there's a website for this podcast. That website is not exactly rocketscience.fm.
2: Yeah, and we hope that you tune in again. We hope that there will be something again, and And we try to keep the science coming. Right, so we (laughs) might have to do that ending again. (laughs)